Let's do it. Let's do it. Broadcasting from around the world, you're listening to The First 100, a podcast on how founders acquired their first 100 paying customers. Here's your host, Hadi Rodwan. Good to have you on the show, Ashray. How are you doing today? I am awesome. Thanks for having me. Let me start with a quick introduction for our listeners. Ashray Malhotra is the founder of Rephrase.ai, a platform for producing videos of virtual humans with synthetic voices, reading out of a script for marketing, sales, or other business needs. For those who don't know how Rephrase works, a customer can select an avatar, a background, a voice, and enter a text that the avatar will, will read. And the AI would process the script through a voice model, matches it with the avatar's lip movement so that the real human would look and sound exactly like a person while performing. Then you can embed those videos on your website, social media, wherever you choose. Rephrase has raised around 10 million in a series A led by Red Ventures with participation of Silver Lake and 8VC. Ashley, before we dive deeper into the strategies you deployed to acquire your customer base, take us back to the founding aha moment. Well, first of all, thanks for the introduction. It's one of the best introductions and the most exhaustive introductions of Reefstays that I've heard in a really long time. So thanks for that. Reefstays started four years back. I used to make short films in college. If you've ever made professional quality videos, you realize the challenges associated with the whole process. And it was during that time that Nishit and I were seeing lots of research come out in the process of automating video content creation, which was the germ of an idea which made us believe that can we help businesses create professional quality videos with the ease of writing text. We've been seeing consumers and prosumers create much better video videos today than they were able to do five years back, all thanks to tools like Instagram Reels or TikTok, etc. And that changes the consumer expectation, but the process that businesses use today to create videos still remains the same. They you still use the same Adobe software, they still have an outsourced team in most cases. So how do we match that expectation? And we thought that the video creation process, if it becomes as simple as what businesses do today, which is either write document or make presentations, we could help bridge that gap. That's how Reflate started. You know, one of the many advisors of Paul Graham, the founder of Y Combinator, is to do things that don't scale early in the life cycle of your startup. Do you have any non-scalable strategies that you employed early on to acquire your first users? We did a bunch of non-scalable things. And given space where we operate, I think, you know, we have some advantage and some disadvantages. First, Rephrase is a fairly horizontal tool, which especially in, the, in our journey used to be, was used by sales team, marketing teams, HR teams, etc. So not having like that one extremely clear ICP made doing some of these non-scalable things not as, as simple. But the one advantage that Rephrase had was the fact that what we do is insanely cool. And as a result of that, I would say in early days, we used to, you know, do mass and outreach. We would like go to conferences and, and talk to people. But the f- majority of our earliest adopters of our software came from us publishing really amazing videos 
created from rephrase to rephrase tool on LinkedIn. Some of our investors would tweet about that on Twitter. And it's from those places that we used to get our early set of adopters before we actually went out and built our proper sales pipeline. Any other strategies that helped you, at least in your first phase where you're trying to get product market fit? Because I know that you've raised around 1.2 million early on. So what led you to be confident enough that this is enough money for me to get from zero to one? So we graduated from Techstars Accelerator in April of 2020. After graduating from Techstars, we posted our Techstars Demo Day video, at which point we barely had the technology working on our LinkedIn. And that led to the first initial set of customer signups on our type forms that led to people DMing us on LinkedIn about getting access to the tool, etc. That also helped us close our first seed round of $1.5 million. And again, I would say like the cycle repeated, like, when we did our funding announcement, that led to more people coming, coming, signing up, after which we did Product Hunt launch, which was also really, really amazing for us. On Product Hunt, we made sure that we woke up for 24 straight hours, and for every single comment on our Product Hunt launch, we created a, a video. So even though the tool wasn't accessible immediately, you could just literally write any text, and we would create a video for that text. So it worked out really well. So basically you created a form of virality effect just by using your own product to reply to your potential customers. Correct. Exactly. That's an amazing strategy. So let's dive a bit deeper in your early acquisition strategy. After your product hunt, what has worked for you and what hasn't? And what did you learn from that? After product hunt, we got an amazing set of beta users and we created a cohort of users with whom we worked for three to six months, trying to refine the product, improve our understanding of our ICP, uh, amongst many other things. But we also realized that the direction in which we were going wasn't like the perfect direction for the product to scale. As a result, we started to explore a completely enterprise GTM instead of the SMB-ish GTM that we had earlier. The enterprise GTM took us at least four to five months to create which meant that we would go to multiple brands and multiple agencies just to try and prove the value out of this. We almost had a few deals which fell through the cracks because we did not have our network covering the entire spectrum of what needed to be, of all the people that we needed to convince. We just had a few stakeholders buying, but not the others. And hence, like, they were important learnings for us. So after we figured out what needed to be done, we did our first major deployment of our product in August of 2021. And that was the first deployment on our enterprise go-to-market motion. And since then, we've scaled in that direction. So our product hunt launch helped us basically create this initial set of people so that we could learn a lot faster about what works and what doesn't. If a listener today wants to start their enterprise motion, what advice or tactics would you give them if they're starting from scratch? Because you've done it before. You have a product, amazing product, but you don't have the sales yet. And you want to go to these enterprises, which, as you mentioned, probably have a longer sales cycle, four, six, eight months. What advice or tactics would you give someone? First, try and find one champion inside the company who will fight for you in the meetings where you are not invited to. Because there are definitely going to be meetings where 
they are discussing your product behind the backs, but you are not in those calls. So that's really important. Secondly, try and have a detailed understanding of who all needs to be convinced for something to get deployed. This set of stakeholders is arguably much larger than most people initially think. You've got to convince the person who's going to use it to the person who's going to pay the money for. You've got to convince legal that everything's fine. You've got to convince procurement that well, you are the best in the market. They're like mapping this journey out. You're very likely to find 10 to 15 stakeholders in the journey about like each of them needs to buy in for your product to get initial adoption. So I would recommend that these are two really important steps for anyone before they even like consider that motion seriously. If they can get some initial POCs, maybe even for free or maybe do some SMB deployments of the technology, if the technology can work in that space to just get some proof of your technology working, that's going to be really helpful because if you can't, my, my largest learning has been that in an enterprise, the reason they are slow in adopting tools is because to adopt any new tool requires a lot of time of people and a lot of money and a lot of legal involvement, et cetera, et cetera. Which means, say, if running a small startup today, I can just go to a website, buy a product and start using it. The reason an enterprise does not do that is because of, you know, the data security laws and, you know, there's just too much that they need to figure out. So it, it's not that they don't want to support, say, any new company. It's just that the process is extremely tedious and that creates a high bar. So any existing proof of concepts that you can show off your technology adding value helps prove out to people that, well, okay, you do meet that higher bar of product adoption. Thank you for sharing this. So today, how does Rephrase convince a customer that has more than a thousand employees to adopt them, especially that there's few other competitors out there who either have been in the market for a longer period or they're more well-funded? What's your value proposition for them? I would argue that the way we've competed in the market is by understanding the needs of our customers really, really well. And instead of continuing to build a generalized text-to-video solution, go extremely deep in those sectors and build custom solutions, which means that we are arguably the best offering for our customers for the problems that they have today. So that's how we've, say, stepped up our game to make sure that we don't lose yields to competition. So basically, if I'm today an SMB and I come to rephrase, what's your pricing model today? Do you charge me a fee per usage? Do you charge me on a project basis? Or do you say, you know what, you're too small for us? As of today for SMBs, I mean, our pricing starts at tentatively around $10,000. We're working to reduce that, but at least that's our starting point today which means if you're an SMB with a really small IT budget, we won't be able to work with you. Again, something that is still in works, we're trying to trying to solve that, but at least as of today, that's our budgetary constraint. Gotcha. Uh, what are you the most proud of out of Rephrase to date? The thing that I'm most proud of of Rephrase is how, and this has been another, another interesting learning, how a bunch of talented people working on a common mission the amount of things that they can achieve is insane. You don't need to have a thousand people company to build a complicated solution. You probably need like 10 people who live, breathe the same problems as you as founders do. And that's my one single largest uh, thing that I'm thankful for. Great. Thank you for sharing this. 
You've raised to date around 12 million and you had a previous seed round and a series A. What was your North Star metric that triggered that this is the right time to go and raise a big round? For our seed round, it was just POC, a proof of concept of our technology being ready. So we had some glimpse of the AI technology being able to create professional quality videos. And that was a trigger for our seed round. For our series A round was being able to prove out that, that the AI technology that we created had significant commercial application, which means it was no longer like a lab project, but we had done lots of commercial deployments. We had decent revenue coming in. So that was a trigger for us to say, okay, well, now that we've proven this out to scale this technology up, we need to raise our A. Today, as a business owner and entrepreneur, you have entrepreneurs anxiety like everyone. How do you deal with this, such a pressure, especially as you're starting, you're trying to hit certain revenue numbers, you have employees that you want to retain, as you mentioned, you, you have a great team there. How do you handle this pressure every day? There's always, of course, pressure, but you've got to think of it instead of thinking of it like pressure, but think of it like fun. You, I now honestly expect to solve new challenges every week. It's difficult to foresee what will be the exact specific problem that I'll be solving four weeks from now. But of course, you've got a rough category of problems that you know are still unsolved in the company and like what's the overall direction that you want to head to. So also over time, you expect your role to evolve. In the earliest days as a founder, you are the salesperson, you are the marketing person, you are doing everything. After the seed round, it evolved a lot to you take out some parts of it and start to focus on hiring a fair bit because now you have money you need to build our team. For the A round, it starts to become a lot about people management, which is people who've been around you. Are you doing the best for them? Are you helping them grow? Are you like the growth structure within the company, KPIs at scale? So along with all of this, you've still got the foundational issues of making sure that your PMF is working, making sure that your sales is scaling. It's a lot of interesting change that happens as the company scales. It's a lot of even personal scaling up along with the company scaling up. So I won't call it stressful. I would call it like a great learning opportunity. Amazing. I'm pretty sure you've got this question before, but as you know, synthetic media raises all sorts of ethical questions. Some say it's deep fake and manipulated media. You've created very recently a very interesting campaign with Mondelez, uh, with the biggest celebrity, Shahrukh Khan, and more than 100,000 people have seen videos, if not more. It is as real as it gets because I didn't know it's synthetic. So how would you respond to people who would say, okay, this is trickery or unethical. I didn't know that the celebrity is not actually there. Great question. This is something that we spend a lot of time making sure that we get it right. And we take multiple steps. First, Primarily, we have developed this framework of what we refer to as Assured by Reefshares.ai, which helps assure companies and everybody in the state in, in the state. It assures the person seeing the videos, to the company sending the videos, to the talent whose face is, face is being used, and it creates like a common framework of, of things. First, it is transparency. We try and be as transparent with people that these are generated videos and not really recorded videos. Secondly, we get consent from whoever the face of the, of, of the video is. It could be a CXO of the company. It could be a celebrity. It could be whoever. 
And this consent also works at multiple layers. We get the consent at the textual level. We get the consent on the first few videos. We get consent on some, on like the base template video that, that gets created. Because our end goal is to help scale up people's time and not to help create videos that they would typically not want to record in the first place. So we spend a lot of time trying to get it right. We're always open to feedback about how we can improve, improve things. But I would argue that there's, I mean, trying to trick people is not really our end goal. If, for example, again, in the Shah Rukh Khan campaign that you particularly mentioned here, if you submit like an entry and like you get a video back in 15 minutes, 30 minutes, you know that he didn't record that video, right? Like it's very clear that like he wasn't just like sitting for you to record, send a video at any time of the day and like he's going to record and send you the video back. So there's no trickery happening. People know, of course, even intuitively that there's some technology being used there. What's really amazing is that these personalized videos, despite you knowing that there was AI used, still evoke the same human emotion of feeling special that say a recorded video would have. Of course, it, it's lesser than a recorded video, but it still happens big time. We've gotten so many amazing feedback from people about just the emotional reaction that these personalized videos are able to get. As a result of that, we have seen businesses help reduce their CAC, you know, increase the lifetime value of customers by saying some cases improving retention, some increases, some cases improving upselling. So to summarize this entire point, it's about driving business value and the way you do that is actually by humanizing communication, which means you make people feel special and make people feel like humans instead of treating them as like a numbers in a CRM sheet. It's not to trick people into believing that this was all say, actually really short. Actually, one last question for you. What's next for Rephrase? We are entering what I would argue is like the golden age for generative AI. I'm not sure, but like people have seen in the last few months, uh, textual large language models become a mainstream thing. It's a things like GPT-3 being used for everything from writing code to writing blog articles to many other applications. We're starting to see uh, text to image models become mainstream with say things like DALI-2, stable diffusion, and many others coming up. We are starting to see very early signs of text to video also happen, starting to happen at scale. So. What where we started four years back was just this germination of an idea that well, okay, at some point we want to get here. Well, that time is going to come really, really soon where text video starts to become a reality. And everything from say the core AI model level to the end application level, there are lots of opportunities for us to capture different layers in the stack. And if you think of it from different customers segments, you know, how do you build different solutions which solve specific problems for every single customer? All of this combined with a bunch of interesting things that you can do around the creator economy. So we're super excited about a bunch of new products that you'll start to see in the next few months. It's super early days. Ashay, thank you for being part of our show. We wish you the best of luck with your venture. How can people reach you? Sending me a message on LinkedIn is the best way to reach me. Thank you for your time. Have a great day, Ashay. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the first 100. We hope it inspired you in your journey. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe to our podcast on Apple iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or Spotify, and share it with a friend starting their entrepreneurship journey. Leave us a five-star review. Your support will help spread our podcast to more viewers. 